Okay. Everybody good though? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Excuse me, just two seconds. I'm cleaning off a 3D print. Oh, 3D is that, printer. Is that, is that a euphemism or? <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, I've just got to go and clean the 3D printer. Yeah. I'm saying it is. Frankenstein's RPG podcast and thanks very much for downloading us. Thank you also for your support and uh, please do keep the feedback coming even if it is just rage tweeting. Uh, brackets laugh here. Okay uh, this one's a big old beast uh, so I'll give a shout out and play the voice messages we received next time perhaps and I'd like to dispute the phrase brevity is the soul of wit right here. This episode looks setting and GM advice and whilst I expected it to be comparatively straightforward, it has been a beast of an episode. But stick with us, because I think it's worth the listening time. I do, of course, uh, exercise my metier of uh, charging in like a toddler in Doc Martens at various points of the very profound debate and analysis. So those of you who are a bit lacking in the old brain department have something to understand. Again, fans of the show, I say fans, will recognise the rule-bending and flagrant disregard for process so once again, this is an episode that's true to type. So uh, this time I'm joined by Ralph uh, from the Fit to Pleasant podcast, which is great, by Mark from the Champions podcast, also superb and with the new season starting now, and Paul from the Good Friends of Jackson Elias, and huge contributor to something called Chaosium or something, uh, and they are similarly brilliant. Wayne Peters, friend of the show and artist extraordinaire, makes a second appearance after sweeping the board in episode 6, but can he repeat it again? Spoilers, maybe. Tradition obliges me to give the usual warning to Traveller fans that they really are just jokes, and unusually to certain Twitter followers whom I finally out live on air. Mr Milner, I'm looking at you. Uh, for those new to us, uh, what's it all about? Well, each episode, we get a group of grognards together to look at the very best elements of role-playing games on a given theme or subject. We debate a bit, waffle a lot more around the topic, and then vote on which games will contribute to our creation, the Frankenstein's monster of a game. The idea is that once we've constructed this devilish entity, we'll then play it and see if it all hangs together, or indeed falls hopelessly apart at the seams. Anyway... Thanks for all the participation via Twitter, and I hope you enjoy it again as we embark on this, the most odd of creative exercises. Hello uh, and welcome everybody to episode nine. Uh, this is the one on setting uh, and GM advice. I, I, I suspect we probably should have done this as the first episode that it's taken us eight to get here is... Actually, no great surprise. So uh, I'm, I'm joined by a, a, a group of luminaries from um, uh, from the gaming community, uh, at least two who are, are, are breaking their duck today. 
Uh, I won't make any other euphemism. Uh, and uh, if I could ask everybody to introduce themselves. So, uh, Mark, if you could uh, introduce yourself first. Yeah, so I'm Mark from the uh, the GM from the Champions podcast. So you can find us on all the usual platforms. Um, and yeah, I, I do do the editing for the, for my sins as well. Good. Uh, Wayne, obviously returning again. Yeah, uh, Wayne Peters, um, at Wayne underscore Peters on Twitter. I'm a role player of no particular merit, um, but I've got a lot of opinions. And uh, I'm also a big fan of failing forward. <laughs> right. Is that a travel somebody... book you've got in your hand? <laughs> oh, somebody, yes. Somebody cut him off. He obviously doesn't understand it. Uh, and uh, Ralph, look, I come to you next. Introduce Hi. Him. Hi, thanks for inviting me. Uh, I'm Ralph Lovegrove. I host the Fictoplasm podcast and write some role-playing games and stuff. Um, and you can find me at Fictoplasm on Twitter. So that's about it. Grand. Thank you very much. And finally, uh, Paul, if you could introduce yourself, please. Hello there. I'm Paul Fricker, at Paul Fricker on Twitter. Uh, I'm one of the hosts of the Good Friends of Jackson Elias podcast, and I write for Call of Cthulhu. Happy days. It's, it's a stellar cast, this one. Fantastic. Expecting big things of you, not to put any pressure on, but, you know. Uh, so uh, we're looking at uh, setting <laughs> setting uh, and GM advice. Okay, so we're going we're to go with setting first. And, and the idea behind this is obviously, you know, it's, it's the Frankenstein's role-playing game. We're, we're hammering bits together and then stitching it all uh, just to see whether we can make something that works, which is going to be almost impossible. Uh, <laughs> Uh, however, however, we'll give it a go. <laughs> uh, setting. So setting, it, it's, I, I guess it's sort of not just about, you know, is there a specific role-playing game setting? I think it's sort of broadened a little bit. And certainly uh, I'll refer to some of the responses on Twitter. Uh, been some interesting, interesting sort of things that have been brought forward. And oddly enough, on a couple of occasions, we've had actually sort of planet Earth as, as the place that we should sort of set it because of... Uh, uh, because of the amount of history and world building we don't need to do anymore. But I'm hoping that we can be a little bit more uh, perhaps imaginative than that, unless, of course, any of you are going to say planet Earth. Hold your hands up now. No, we're OK. Uh, so uh, the setting for RPG. So we're looking for um, something that struck you in particular as being a great place to set a, a, a role-playing game or, or things we ought to be looking for in terms of finding a setting. So who should I come to first? Uh, perhaps Ralph, could I, may I start with you? Uh, you certainly may. Um, so I've made a few notes. And um, first, I think I want to start by reading, uh, well, making a couple of assumptions. So we're talking about a fancy role-playing game, right? Yep. Um, and I've deliberately limited myself to game advice in fantasy games as well. Okay. But first of all, when we talk about the setting, um, I think it's important to know what we mean by fantasy. So uh, going to the Encyclopedia of Science Fiction, um, there's a couple of great definitions in there. I'm just trying to find the, uh, the notes that I made. Just every, one moment, every, please. Everybody else is looking really, really nervous now. <laughs> it's <laughs> all the gone up. Grown up. Did you did he say encyclopedia? I didn't realise I've got to list citations. It's all I've got. Oh, no, footnotes, no... footnotes and everything. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ralph. Go. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so um, there's a couple of quotations in, in the encyclopedia of uh, science fiction, and um, 
One of them is, first of all, the definition of fantasy, this excerpt, which is, uh, quote, to make any sort of distinction at all, we have to regard fantasy, in quotation marks, as the contents of the middle circle, excluding the SF circle, in which the novum is supernatural. In other words, fantasy, as we use the word throughout this book, is fiction about the impossible. So the question is, what is the novum? Uh, and so there's this other quote. Yeah, That's not yeah, the only question I've got. <laughs> okay, so so the, these are these are entries that you can find in the online encyclopedia. Okay. So there's this bit about the novum. Professor Darko Suvin situated SF as a literary form as marked by two unusual devices, cognitive estrangement and the novum. The former is distinctive in creating and understanding the imagined world as different from our own by means of scientific observation, theorizing, and empirical experiment. Such new, such new textual words, sorry, I'll start again, such new textual worlds are set off from ours chiefly by means of a drastic disruption, an anomalous breach in accepted varieties, in short, an intrusive novelty so strange and at first inexplicable that it deserves a category of its own, the novum. Okay, so... Now I'm going to do the sort of uh, you know cut cut to the cut the bullshit now. Do, um, do, what, do the idiot's guide for me. What, anyway. what do we mean by novum? Uh, it's a disruptive event or something that is disruptive and sets itself aside from the world that we're used to. And in terms of fantasy, the encyclopedia reckons that it is the supernatural. So I went with that because I think it, it does work very much with my worldview. Okay. So then I was going to say, well, what is so? What is the supernatural? The very base level of the supernatural is magic and it's you know it's point and click magic and it's um the problem i've got with magic just point and click magic of certain settings is that uh it doesn't often have a a spiritual mythic component so Mm -hmm. things like lord of the rings or game of thrones or whatever the magic is very much a substitute for technology and that's all it really is uh, in in Mm -hmm. my view and as a result, I don't find that particularly compelling as a setting. And that, that is my position. Now, I think there's sort of counter arguments about why the Lord of the Rings might be a great setting for somebody, but it's not for me. Um, on the other hand, you look at somewhere like um, Earthsea or Lieber's uh, No One or the, um, a few other places, Prydain of Lloyd Alexander. Um, mm-hmm. So that you've got something like a, a more spiritual component where you have a land of the dead that you can walk into that is kind of nebulous and it's a threshold that you cross and it's something that's present and it adds a a spiritual component to the fantastic elements both the mythic and the magical so i would look for something that is more like that okay so that that's where i would go for in terms of you know the setting um now i took six criteria for sort of what do i want from a a uh, what do i want from a setting is the uh, first is, is, uh, is there a graph there is a graph it's a, well, it's, a, <laughs> it's a ketna trago uh, decision analysis matrix if you'd like to see it later but um in, in it's, i i have but, a horrible feeling my brain has just uh, <laughs> collapsed but we'll go with it go on but to, but but to cut, cut a story short the, the two main ones one is going to be the definition of fantasy and the kind of of you know supernatural that i would like to see yeah and the other one is going to be whether the setting is emergent so this comes to my second quote, which is from M. John Harrison. 
who says, quote, in his famous quotation about the great clomping foot of nerdism, every moment of a science fiction story must represent the triumph of writing over world building. World building is dull. World building literalizes the urge to invent. World building gives an unnecessary permission for acts of writing, indeed for acts of reading. World building numbs the reader's ability to fulfill their part of the bargain because it believes that it has to do everything around here if anything is going to get done. Above all, world building is not technically necessary. It is the great clomping foot of nerdism. It is the attempt to exhaustively survey a place that isn't there. A good writer would never try to do that. Even with a place that is there, it isn't possible. And if it was, the results wouldn't be readable. They would constitute not a book, but the biggest library ever built, a hallowed place of dedication and lifelong study. This gives us a clue to the psychological type of the world builder and the world builder's victim, and it makes us very afraid. So that, that's um, M. John Harrison essentially saying that the more that you extrapolate your world and build it and fill it mm -hmm. with detail, uh, the less mystical it becomes and the less you are inviting the, the reader or indeed uh, the players, I think, to, mm -hmm. to contribute to the world building themselves. So yeah. I do not like other people's settings. Uh, now, Glorantha gets sort of a pass on the spiritual front because despite being massively overwritten, it has a brilliant spiritual underpinning. Okay. Uh, but mostly, I do not go for Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones or anything that is an overwritten secondary world. Okay. I much prefer the Ursula Gwyns. So my choice is Beyond the Wall, which I think you've mentioned before. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So the reason that Beyond the Wall is interesting, it is a fully emergent game uh, in that you start with the village and you start with the characters and then you strike out from it and you develop the landscape. So the landscape and what you know about the world, what the players know about the world, goes at the same pace as what the characters know about the world. Mm -hmm. Now, there are some other clever mechanisms, like the, uh, in particular, the Further Afield book, which is, um, in Further Afield, you will have things which are distant, and you know that they're there and you've either read about them or somebody's told you about them or you yeah. may have glimpsed them. Um, but they're kind of, let, let's say you want to draw a hex map around your village as your characters strike out. Mm -hmm. um, so 10 hexes north, you might say, well, I know there's a city there and I've heard these things about it. Um, but you don't know what's in between. And so it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't oblige you to draw an entire map. Okay. And uh, it also means that the, the, the space between the city and the village can be emergent. And so that's where I would go with that. I would like a fruitful void. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other, one last thing about setting, the other thing that Beyond the Wall does very well is it ties in the characters to the setting because they are, they're created with a set of playbooks and then they emerge with the rest of the setting. It also means that the game setting is where the characters are. So it ends up being very coherent as well as very quick to get to the table. So that's my pitch. That's Beyond the Wall. I'll, I'll sort of nod sagely and, and, <laughs> and say that I kind of understood some of what you said. 
uh, Beyond the Wall is great though, and 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 actually, once once my uh, I, I sort of got my head around uh, where you were going, I think uh, I think that's brilliant. It's it's also brilliant that you use lots of long words. That I'm going to have to go and look up a bit later, but but I think the Beyond the Wall thing is where, where it sort of came in previously was in. Uh, I think it was Neil, uh, old Scouser role playing, and he sort of suggested it as a as a method for character generation. Yeah, but it has been mentioned on a couple of other occasions, you know, partly because of that playbook sort of stuff. Yeah, it, it, it's excellent at that. Yeah. I think the, the other thing, uh, I mean, the other thing I want to make the point is I am strongly biased in a particular way that I want to see the fantasy world. I yeah. fully accept that it is is probably i don't know if i'm in the minority but certainly there's plenty of people who can't get enough of pre-built worlds and exploring yeah. those and yeah. and that is fairly so that's why i prefaced it with the john harrison point of view which is you know that's where my head is yeah uh, well listen uh, in, in terms of learned discourse you've set the bar for everybody else Okay, well, um, <laughs> to everyone else. Then. But honestly, I, I do that. I also think one of one of the things that you, you actually said that I that I, I really do think is extremely important is this idea of of sort of uh, magic being replaced, uh, or sort of, pardon me, science being replaced by magic or technology being replaced by magic. And I think you're right; it's, it tends to have that sort of functional kind of a process to it, which is one of the reasons why, with the magic system that's coming from Maelstrom. It has that element of having to be a bit more creative about it, and, and, and you know, not just okay. It's get out your get out your template. This is the ones you you blast. Uh, and oddly enough, there are a few science fiction games, I guess you could say, that that sort of try to do that in reverse. I'm thinking of sort of Numenera, Quite where yeah, yeah they, they kind of use technology. You find these I can't think what they call it, but it's like a piece of technology, and it, it does something that essentially is is magic. So, I mean, Jim Will's book of the New Sun does that. I mean, it's a science fiction story, but it starts out as a fantasy novel, and it gets more obviously a science fictional yeah. future world as you get through it. Yeah, good, um, brilliant. Beyond the wall. Okay, thank you, Ralph. I thought it was excellent. Now then, who'd like to go next? <laughs> Mark, Mark, come on! You broke first. Oh God, <laughs> that's a, that's a tough act to follow. I'm just we're gonna. All, we're all pushing you forward. <laughs> step back. One step back. <laughs> Let me just pull my th thesaurus up and uh... come on. So yeah, four settings. Um, I, I've sort of strayed a little bit and, and chosen a setting that in itself is a bit of a, a Frankenstein type setting. And yeah. um, we won't talk about the rules themselves because I think they're infamously not very good. Um, but it's the first setting that I came across where someone tried to use the idea of do it as a cinematic game. Okay. And let's not just have dice, let's have some cards, which is all very interesting. And I did enjoy playing it at, at the time, which is Torg. Oh, right. So the reason I say Torg is a bit of a Frankenstein's <laughs> uh, game anyway is because it has this idea that it's, it's set on the world, <laughs> on Earth. Okay. Um, but Earth's sort of been invaded by what they call um, this, this sort of dis different 
possibilities or different realities to harvest the you know sort of possibility energy it's, um, so it leaves you with a world with lots of different settings each okay. reality being different um which i really like the idea of and you know the, i mean i know this isn't really about how you play within it but the player characters are, are sort of uh, you know above the norm in that most people in an area where the reality has been changed turn to you know be part of that reality so you know if it's fantasy reality then they become you know they, they, they become fantasy people or whatever whereas the player characters aren't affected by that and they're free to move around there are there are caveats around that obviously it's part of the challenge of playing the game so in theory you can go into a fantasy setting with a bazooka um, and all that sort of stuff but there, there are risks involved um, so I just like the idea that there's these pockets of different areas and you know also from the, from a, a group's point of view, yep. if, if the group has a, a particular flavor or taste that they like, they can, they can stay in that area. They're not little areas. You know, we're talking, this is a sort of a global, a global thing. So, okay. and, and, and that's it. I can run through the various settings because I literally have the wiki in front of me, but. Um, <laughs> yeah, come on, let's have a look. Uh, so any, anything in particular? For talk that you'd say, okay, this is where this is where I'm sort of wanting it to be landed on, because as you said, that that's pretty diverse. You could be almost anything. Yeah, anywhere. I, I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't say there is. No, I mean, I'd probably steer away from the more traditional ones like the fantasy or the sci-fi setting or mm. or whatever, just to, to do something a bit different. Um, but you've got, you know, your basic Earth. You've got what they call the living land, which is, you know, sort of a prehistoric dinosaurs yeah. and savages yeah. type place. The Nile Empire. Um, I'm going to have to skim read this because it's been a very long time since I've played it, um, which I think is sort of Egyptian, but it's got sort of magic involved in it as well. Yeah. Uh, but, but but it would be sort of um, your your setting, your Frankenstein's RPG setting may be different. It doesn't need to be sort of prescriptive, is what you're trying to do. No, no. I mean, obviously they've they've come up with all these things, but I mean, you're really well. I always felt that you're encouraged to come up with your own because it's like you can just place your own um, reality, as, as as they call it, you know, yeah. within there. And they've just sort of tried to hit all the major tropes. You know, they've got a cyberpunk one, which is actually a sort of cyber religion, um, which I think Warhammer Warhammer does, doesn't it? I think. Yeah. And you've got sort of a very sort of Japanese corporate sci-fi one. The, most of the sayings are pre-written. Okay. Um, all, all the ones you know, so, so they list. They've got source books for, and that was one of the problems with the rules. Is they started with the core rules, and I can't remember which setting they they'd sort of detailed the most. Yeah. And then as they brought the core rule books out with new sort of, because players get like archetypes to sort of fit in with, and then build their statistics and skills out from there. Okay. As the settings moved on, the 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 skills and abilities became more and more powerful, almost you know, undermining characters from the previous setting. And okay. that's why it all sort of fell to pieces. Can I cool. ask, Mark, because um, uh, I've played this years ago and I can remember moving through like maybe three settings over, over a period of time, but I can't remember how we went from one setting to another. Is the world geographically divided up and you just move from one area, almost like moving from one continent to another or... Or do you have to go through some kind of like mystical gate to get from one No, you just move uh, from, uh, again, I, I'm the same. I played this a very long time ago. Yeah. But the settings always sort of stuck with me. Um, I, I think it's just geographic. I think they're sort of, they're sort of bubbles around areas. So if you're from a different reality, 
it's almost impossible to enter another area. I think I might be wrong on that, but it's, as these it's sort a, of storm lights, as they call them, you can pass between these quite easily. Yeah, because what I remember being so great was you were playing the same characters and you went from one sort of like reality to another, one setting to another. And as I recall, something your your characters sort of changed a bit as well to sort of to suit that other setting a bit, but not completely so. so yeah, what, I don't remember. Yeah, that. it was it was a but it was just a really interesting dynamic that you you were, you know, you were playing in sort of ancient Egypt and it was kind of like a mystical sort of Egypt with sort of spells and stuff. And then and then I think we went through we we went to a sort of Indiana Jones sort of uh, sort of pulp setting. Well, you know, quite a different setting anyway. Yeah. And it was just that dynamic of we weren't playing a different game. We were still playing the same game, but now the settings all different. Yeah, the same like, rules, the same character, yeah, but a different yeah. setting. Yeah, and, and the there same... are, I mean, the, for the players, there are risks in moving between settings that aren't your own and using things that aren't part of that reality. Right. I think that you get sort of points, and then you can burn those to counter failures because i think if you fail i can't remember the exact mechanic but if you use something from outside of that setting there's always, there's always a risk that you can then be sort of subsumed by that reality and your character becomes you know subsumed like a normal member of society and they would have to sort of drag him out or her out should i say and uh, so it's sort of a cross between quantum leap and the time bandits then really yeah i suppose so yeah i, I think i do yeah. time bandits huh? Wasn't one of the one of the settings was uh, what the cyber paper scene? Uh, yes, cyber, that's the one. Yes, cybernetic pope. That just sounds brilliant. Yeah. It's a, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but what, what I thought one of the I thought it was actually quite simple in that um, the more magicy a place was, the less likely technology would work, and vice versa, which I always thought was quite neat. You know, if you're going to jam all those together, that's um, you know just having a simple sliding scale like that makes a lot of sense to me um yeah. because you know with, without overcomplicating it um isn't and also this is kind of a, a year before all more or less contemporary with rifts which was the which was, it was all about time travel wasn't it jumping and things like that wasn't it it was it, it, it was talk's yeah. shitter cousin wasn't it <laughs> <laughs> I remember yeah, rifts being pump, really, pump really mechanically heavy. It's yeah. it's awful. Uh, it, it is, uh, yeah. It's a post-apocalyptic setting, isn't it? They kind of, but they, they kind of threw everything in with the kitchen sink. You had these sort of armored stormtroopers like Star Wars and, and yeah. uh, glitter boys and ley lines. And, yeah. yeah, mechs and magic and psionics and. But oh, you, no. you, you, there is a, geogra a sort of a geographic component to some of the magic stuff, and I think there's some mm. stuff around Atlantis and things. But it's ley also, and... yeah, ley lines are a big thing. Yeah, as, uh, uh, as as you're describing it, I'm I'm kind of thinking the rift settings into a little bit like the Frankenstein's RPG, really, just <laughs> chuck stuff in <laughs> and hope it sticks. It won't be that bad. I <laughs> <laughs> have a bit of faith. Yeah. As long as you publish it as a series of uh, telephone directory size books, you'll be oh, fine. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I nearly broke my back lifting Zweihander up the other day. So. <laughs> they did a, oh, a yeah. Sav Savage Worlds version of Rifts uh, a few years back, which I, on, I jumped on it on the Kickstarter. Uh, I've not played it yet, but I'd be interested to see if the setting works better with a, a lighter, simpler rule system. I, I bet it would actually. I can imagine that sort of that because it always was crazy gonzo. So if you've mm. got something that you can play like uh, like Savage Worlds, where you, you know, much more action oriented, I can see that working really well. Mm. Mm. I'll have to try it one day. 
Mm, okay. So like, like that, the idea that you can actually, uh, it sort of develops in a slightly different direction from what you were saying, Ralph, which is about having this sort of, the opportunity to set it almost where where your, you know, your glorantha may be different. Well, uh, it, it, it sounds you... like it's sort of arguing for more of a post-apocalyptic landscape, but there's still the randomness there, which sounds pretty good. Interesting. Okay. Uh, Paul, may I come to you next? Yeah. Uh, so when you initially invited me, I was like, oh, thank you very much. That's very kind of you to invite me. And then I was like, oh, it's setting. Oh, I don't think I'm your guy for setting because I'm not really a fan of uh, published settings as a whole. Oh, I thought you were just going to say, uh, I, I can't stand it. I don't want to be on it. That's, <laughs> that's what I thought. <laughs> no, no, I've been very much enjoying uh, walking around the park and listening to uh, the episodes. It's, it's been great. Um, so, yeah, so I feel a bit like I'd be one of those people with, uh, rather than building Frankenstein, I'm going to be one of those people with the, the pitchforks and the, and the burning torches going around to set fire to the big pile of settings books. Um, so I might be the worst guest you've ever had for this. I don't know. But then, I, but then I got, I got thinking. <laughs> yeah, Wayne hasn't started yet. <laughs> <laughs> but then I got thinking, you know, can you have a game without a setting? And, and obviously you can't. There's no game that you can play that you don't have a setting. Even if you just have the title Dungeons and Dragons without the books, you've got a setting because that, that gives you a setting. It's got dungeons and it's got dragons. As soon as you say that, that means the setting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and, and the things in the books, because some of the books I looked at, some of the rule books I looked at, they don't really have a chapter on setting, but, mm-hmm. you know, they've got uh, a wizard. So, oh, magic is real. So that's a big deal in a setting. If you look at any Apocalypse World game, it's largely defined by the playbooks through those. And, and indeed, Vincent Baker, you know, when he started Apocalypse World, I think, all he had was the brainer, the one playbook, this kind of psychic character. And, and that was the whole sort of impetus for it. You know, that, that, the whole sort of thing came from that one character. So I think, you know, it's interesting what setting, what setting it's what setting is for. And it's like to get everybody on the same page at the table. So we all kind of know, you know, what we're doing, what, you know, the, we kind of agree on it. And I think if you're using a published setting, that everybody's familiar with then that's kind of fairly straightforward if it's like the one ring oh it's lord of the rings you know maybe you don't know anything about that then i think then it becomes a problem but if you've seen the movies maybe you've only read the hobbit whatever you you can sort of get into that to varying degrees yeah the reverse of that i think is it can be an obstacle for players if you turn up and they say oh, we're playing lord of the rings tonight and you, you've never even encountered it I mean, probably less likely with Lord of the Rings, but let's say Glorantha or, you know, what one of the, the, the sort of published settings and you've no knowledge of it, it almost becomes an obstacle because especially if there are other people that are really into that setting and, you, you're, and you're the new kid on the block and you don't know, it just feels very alienating, I find. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm with Ralph in the fact that an emergent setting, one that you just create through play, is, is kind of my favored uh setting okay i would say hand in hand with that that's kind of why i like i know you said not to have earth as a setting but that's kind of why (laughs) i like playing uh call of cthulhu you know set on earth because 
it can be any kind of version of, well, not any version of Earth, but ostensibly the real world, but you can put any kind of dressing on it. Like every horror film you watch that sort of seems to be like the real world, mm -hmm. to me, that, you know, that, that's just fodder for Call of Cthulhu because um, you know, the, that's where we want to start. I want to feel like it's just a normal world. I could be that person. Oh no, terrible things are happening. Um, it, when I do run Call of Cthulhu, it can be very varied. So, you know, you could go, the characters go to New England and maybe there is an Innsmouth and maybe there's not, you know, from one game to another, you, you can vary that. So it's not like a canon setting. Like if you were playing Lord of the Rings, there's going to be um, Rivendell, right? That's going to be there. But it's kind of more like definite canon. Things are there or things aren't there. Is it, there's a reasonable chance Tom Bombadil might make a... Well, that's a bit more optional, isn't it? Yeah, very unwelcome appearance, but, you know. <laughs> Sorry. He never, makes, he never makes the films or anything, does he? So, you know, thank, will he make the Thank game? the Lord. Best thing in Small it. mercies. Does he feature in the One Ring? <laughs> oh, I don't think I he think does. I think he does. I think he, he does in this Kickstarter I, version. Yeah, so, yeah, so he was, a, he was an add-on. He was a Kickstarter add-on, no, I think. No, no, my Middle Earth may vary. <laughs> oh, Oh, well, yeah. that there's a statement I never thought I'd hear. I mean, can that happen? <laughs> well, I can't stand Gondor either. That's out. What? Yeah, hobbits hate them. Get out. <laughs> that, that's an interesting thing. I because th I was thinking about setting, and I was thinking, you know, I'm playing a D and D game right now, yep. set in Forgotten Realms. Um, okay. uh, I think it's uh, Icewind Dale, right? Which I think I, I, you know, I don't know bugger all about. Spine of the rounds, world. I think it? it. I think it is. Anyway, anyway. So I chose to play a Hobbit, and I'm playing it like a Hobbit from the Shire. Um, but you, there's a lot of settings that you can kind of fantasy settings you can plug a Hobbit into, right? Yeah. And a lot of settings you could plug a zombie into. You know, in Game of Thrones, the White Walkers essentially zombies, really, just kind of redressed a bit. Yep. Any Call of Cthulhu that game, you could throw a zombie in. I think you could throw a zombie into Star Trek, but you couldn't. You know, if you're running my Middle Earth game, I can't throw a Jedi into it. So I think setting to some degree is, is defined by what you can't put into it. Uh, Tom Bombadil as Jedi, Ooh. I would argue, would be, a, would be just an appalling travesty. But OK, so, uh, we want to see a fight <laughs> there between Tom Bombadil and Yoda now, surely. Yes, very, very badly done with CG. OK, so... so uh, I like I like the idea that you know it's it's sort of uh, that, that very definitely you know you can you can almost define a setting by certain elements of a, of a game. But is that what you do? Would you say that the world is sort of generic, or are you saying actually it should be uh, based on Earth or, or or what? Sorry. Well, I've got I've got a couple of games that I'd like to mention, if I may. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Um, I think Torg was a great suggestion because I think I, I didn't think of that. And, and in terms of settings, that's kind of like a high concept game that, that, that does a lot with setting. I think Paranoia is like probably the pinnacle of setting because it's like such a um, great conceptual setting and it's so core to the game. Yes, <laughs> somebody's holding up a copy. Uh, and, um, you know, that, 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 it's totally rooted in that that one concept of uh, you know the, the computer and your yeah. color codes and your secret societies that everybody's a member of but you can't tell anyone and all that. Um, I think 
when I went to um, the, the Tolkien exhibition in uh, Oxford a few years ago, when we were, you know, able to stray outside, yeah. um, that was that was probably my favourite exhibition I've ever been to. And looking around, it just felt like I was in the best, most prepared GM's uh, like room of all time. There was his map of Middle Earth, uh-huh. his actual one that he used, and it's kind of got. It just looked like a, a, an old GM's map. It got like loads, it's obviously all hand-drawn and bits of new paper sort of stuck over other bits, <laughs> bits that were sort of so rubbed out you could hardly read it. And even yeah. like these little pinhole burns where bits had fallen out of his pipe and burnt through it as he was working on it. It's like, oh my God, if this was my GM, it'd be uh, just uh, awesome. But I think, you know, it'd be great to, great to uh, have Tolkien running your game. I don't know if that would be good or not, to be honest, but... <laughs> Well, It'd probably break if, into old English. And, yeah, uh, it depends if Bombadil's there, really, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. But my my uh, my suggestion, anyway. I've been rambling long enough. My suggestion yeah. is, and I'm gonna I'm gonna quote from uh, from the book, if I may. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've even 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 taken a highlighter to the book. <gasps> can, um, oh my god! That's it. That you will be hunted down by at least three people I know. <laughs> Uh, I'm not even allowed to breathe on the books according to them. It's my book. I'll do as I please. (laughs) King of Dungeons follows in the grand tradition of classic fantasy role-playing in that it has an implied setting. You can tell by squinting at the rest of the book what that means. It's faux medieval, except with exotic cultures, gunpowder and magic. Kingdoms and histories and all that are no more than alluded to. There is no timeline of things that used to be awesome, and are now all broken. There are no nations or gods provided. And and I have to say, uh, it, it got a bit of love on on Twitter as well, and not, not the least, in fact, from uh, a certain Baz Stevens. Yeah. Oh, really? I, I, I'm not the sure. Same, the same, well, the yeah, same one. Remember, are they related? <laughs> it, it's weird. It's weird that there should be more than one Baz mm. Stevens who has a liking for King of Dungeons. Shameless, I have to say. <laughs> Absolutely shameless self-promotion. I, I hear it exudes a pheromone that attracts bad Stevens. <laughs> <laughs> I've never known of a pheromone being built into a game before, but or, or, or oh. over Twitter. I, I, I wonder what's in what's in Traveller. Is it not going? Is, is Frankenstein's RPG not going to have a, a scratch and sniff section? Yes, uh, I've asked uh, Armani to <laughs> uh, to start oh. work. Yeah. Surely the smell of traveller is your a, is Marnie a... or our Marnie. Our Marnie may differ. Yeah. <laughs> Surely the smell of traveller is a poorly scrubbed out low berth. Indeed. Yes. Or as as in the last uh, last one, it's uh, a set of budgie smugglers. I suspect it's been worn slightly too long. <sighs> like a nice uh, nice pitchfork attack. From Traveller fans, King of Dungeons, like that. I like the book actually, funny enough, and and I know that it's based on Thirteenth uh, Age. Yeah, don't get me started on that. Uh, but but I think what he has done is, and and the first time I read it, um, you could sort of, in terms of what he was trying to achieve, uh, I I think he did an extremely good job. And and it was sort of saying, you know, whilst it's it's sort of not a generic game in as much as he was fairly uh, sort of set on the way that he would like it to be played in terms of mechanics, it was that idea that, you know what, this is really something that you can turn over, that whole development of the crew, 
the whole development of the town that you're in. So I, I, I thought it was very, very clever, very good. So King yeah, of Dungeons, was... King of Dungeons, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it worked well. I was, I was lucky enough to play it before it got released yeah. with a Baz jamming. I can't remember how the hell I managed to wangle that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's, it's a nice system. It works well. Was, I think there was, was really it a couple of tweaks after. He just wanted a bit of feedback, but uh, was it his pheromones that sort of attracted you to the game, or uh, no, it was his ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <coughs> excuse me, <laughs> leave it there, Paul. Thank yeah, you. you can edit that out, feel free. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Wayne, I'm now going to give you the floor. Well, the uh, problem I've always had with settings is um, how to convey them and sell them to players. Um, I, I remember this, I first had this problem with, I think it was DreamPod 9's Jovian Chronicles, which I, um, this was back in sort of early 2000s, and uh, I thought this is terrific, but I, I couldn't work out how to sort of explain the setting or how to convey the setting to the players without making them read the entire like history and geography section of the book, mm. um, which, you know, no one wants to do. Um, and I found that with a, quite a few games. Now, often, that's not really a problem uh, in, in that um, you can, as a few people have said, you can kind of start small and work out. And a lot of people, I've been reading Glorant, um, sort of uh, Glorantha recently, and a lot of people have said to me, you know, um, start small and discover the world together. Great, yeah. great advice. But I, I find, I think with Glorantha, certainly with the new RuneQuest Glorantha, uh, and something like, say, Conan, Modifius' Conan. You need to have an understanding of the world in order to make informed choices when you're creating your character. And so, you know, it, it, it's difficult to start off small when players need to kind of, even if it's kind of broad strokes, they need to have some sense, sense of the world. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm always put off by settings where players need to be familiar with it, really familiar with the entire setting before you can even make characters. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I do like, like a, a lot of people have already said, um, I do like a setting where you can start off small um, and work outwards. Um, I mean, the other end of the scale really is something like Dungeons and Dragons, where you don't, um, you don't need a setting. Um, uh, this, as Paul said, the setting is implied but you can you can create characters without knowing anything about the world. You can start the game first scene in a dungeon corridor. You don't need to know anything else, just bricks and torches and goblins and off you go. And then yep. after that, you can you can go to the local village and from there you can work outwards. Um, but that's that to me is the, the other extreme. Um, I do like some flavor to a setting. Um, so, uh, so the one I'm going to suggest is Eurasia, Grave, Grave of Heaven uh, by S. John Ross, which was a, a setting book that he wrote for Big Eyes, Small Mouth, second edition. And it's, it's a, a fantasy setting heavily inspired by Japanese console role-playing games. Now, so it's obviously got a lot of an anime and manga kind of tropes to it. Now, it's not the... It's not the, the sort of the Japanese, the anime manga aspects that I'm, I'm sort of proposing, because that's not for everybody. Um, and it's, I'm, I'm suggesting this one because to me, it was a good example of, I think, quite a lot of settings, setting books that will 
um, do what what uh, John Ross did in this, and that is give you a very brief overworld overview of the world, mm-hmm. because it's essentially it's a fancy setting. It's it's basically um, what's left of a world after a massive war in heaven. All the gods fought each other, killed each other, um, and then these these are the ruins. So you've got um, a group of islands surrounded by this maelstrom, which you can't pass beyond magic fails once you pass beyond this certain limit so everything's contained in this circle of islands um he gives each island a paragraph so it's about two pages maybe of, of geography and history for you know the, the world mm-hmm. then he details one small region on one of the islands and then he details one village in that region in, in a couple of pages um and so what you have is uh, a setting that I think is simple enough to convey to players, um, contains a lot of standard tropes. So, you know, if you played D&D, a lot of it will feel familiar anyway. Um, but then it kind of drills down into one specific area. So you can kind of start there. And as a few people have said, you can then move outwards and create the world, just using the broad overview, create the world yourself as you go and detail it yourself. Um, so I think, I think um, uh, similar to what um, Paul and Ralph have, have uh, suggested, in, in the sense that you you start off small and work outwards, creating the world as you go. But as I say, w- with this with this, you would have a kind of a general feel of the setting um, uh, before you before you started. So, so that's that's my um, that's my proposal. Eurasia Grave of Heaven by S. John Ross. It sounds. Yeah, it cool. sounds a lot like sort of emergent, like a video game or a JRPG. Like yeah. you start in a small area and then gradually you get to know more about the, the place. That mm. sounds brilliant. I, I'm afraid I, I, I don't know the game, but I think the way you've described it is, 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 is interesting. You know, the, yeah. there is that sort of, there is an underpinning and you may well have a sort of an example of, this is what a village may look like, and then go on, crack on, it's yours. Yeah. Mm. Manga. This is very, very large-eyed, oddly proportioned well, people. Big Eye Small Mouth was a rule set that intended to, to sort of um, mimic the tropes of, of anime and manga um, <laughs> from, from like the early 2000s, I think. Okay. Um, Tri- Tristat system, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it became it became it was a tr- yeah it became I think it actually became TriStat kind of generic RPG afterwards. But yeah, it was the TriStat system. Uh, well, it's interesting what you were saying, Wayne, about like introducing players to the setting because I know a, a technique I've sort of favoured when I've been a player in one of these settings, you know, that I'm not familiar with, is to sort of try and play an outsider. Um, mm. But I'm just experiencing this now with Icewind Dale. I've I've I'm playing this hobbit who was uh, abducted by mind flayers and uh, that's not why i'm now a sorcerer and i've been dumped here in this in this strange land but now the obstacle is that i kind of want to get home and they want me to do all this other stuff and i'm like well obviously as a player i need to figure out why my hobbit wants to do this stuff yeah but you know part of me is sort of thinking well why would i want to do this stuff why would i want to go and investigate these murders because you know, nothing to do with me i'm not even from here i'm not even from around here you know what why am i bothered so i think that is a you know that 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 technique is um or that technique that i was espousing is perhaps flawed 
in some ways. Well, it, fish out of water idea is great. Something like Harry Potter, where you know there's a whole world out there, and your character knows nothing of it, you know nothing of it. That's fine. And someone actually suggested Call of Cthulhu is a great way. It's a great way to play Call of Cthulhu if your players don't know anything about the mythos. They got a little bit of an idea of the 1920s, but if they know nothing of the mythos at all, they've never read any Lovecraft. They know, you know, they. I mean, it's impossible. But if they've never heard the name Cthulhu. You know, it's terrific because they can really can go into it blind and discover it, you know, um, as they as they play. Like um, we'd expect characters in the fiction to do. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Introduced into a sort of a, a setting and, and then you've got to find out more about it. Mm. It's interesting. So I, I've just did a, a, an old school essentials. I ran for a group of uh, friends, children, friends of children, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, who'd never played any kind of role-playing games at all and it went really well they enjoyed it which was fantastic and then uh i was sort of thinking well okay well, what can we do for the next uh and call of cthulhu was one of those that came up and it was it, they the people were talking i'm talking about doing it with the adults no idea about lovecraft at all and i'm sort of thinking this is this is fantastic imagine being able to sort of discover call of cthulhu again it'd be fantastic but really good okay so so uh, Eurasia, Eurasia, yeah, okay. It's interesting, it's just, just a, a couple of points before I sort of, as I said, you know, jump in and, and kick the living bejesus out of everything. A, a few people have sort of made we had the World Cup O settings, uh, where it was a, an online poll of you know, uh, started off with 32. Uh, different settings from role-playing games, and we got down to the final. <clears throat> yeah, but wasn't a lot of vote-fixing by the docs, I think? Yeah, there was, yeah. Yeah, there yeah, was. I yeah. thought so, yeah. Glorantha uh, uh, won, which is, which is a travesty. Uh, but it sort of then sparked off a few people sort of saying things subsequently about, you know, uh, not just about Glorantha, and I'm not going to say anything rude about RuneQuest. I'll let other people... <laughs> I'll let other people do that for me. Thank you. <laughs> so, 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 so Guy Milner, for example, he said that setting needs space uh, to be made its own rather than pages of history and law, which I think is, you know, is kind of what we've been, been saying as well. And he, he goes on to say, which is why Glorantha canon is rubbish. As I said, this is, this is Guy Milner saying this, not me. Uh, it also needs some peril and a reason to be adventuring, uh, which is why Traveller is rubbish. Now, again, this is Guy Milner saying it, not me. But I think it's interesting. There's, there's a few other people who sort of made sim very, very similar points uh, to, to, to what we said. Um, and in fact, narrative landscapes, I thought, made a very perceptive sort of um, comment about, about the, uh, the, the rule, rule books that we've drawn things from. And he actually says, uh, have you seen the random assortment of rules? The only outcome from that would be something Twin Peaks, Brazil, or some other dystopian surreal nightmare where humanity grasps for sanity. That sounds brilliant. It does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If, yeah. I've already sent a note to him to say, could you start writing it, please? <laughs> uh, but, but I think, again, lots of people sort of then, once, and, and it's, it, I find it endlessly fascinating with having started this, that it's, it's one of these times when and people listening to it, but people, but specifically people and, and yourselves this time, 
having to sort of think about it, you know, what do I really want to do? And if you were starting again, what, what would you do? What sort of thing? And I don't know whether it's an age or an experience thing, but I, but I, similarly to, to I think, and I think everybody said pretty much the same thing, I do find myself being a little bit, I, I get excited about, you know, certain settings, I guess, uh, you know, that there's a new Lord of the Rings uh, television programme coming up I, I i quite like that i quite like the idea of watching that i think it could be good fun partly because of nostalgia and, you know and partly because i i like lord of the rings having said that though in terms of gaming i think i'm, I'm also more inclined to do that well how can you change it so that actually we're making it you know how how, how we can make the setting and how can you then build it outwards as, as, as i think two or three people wayne the last last person to say it how can you start small and then build big and, and then it becomes something that's a shared experience one of the reasons why i, I very much like beyond the wall for example however i'm going to rise roughshod over all of that when when i put my proposal and, and i've only very very recently sort of discovered it it does have some elements of uh where you are starting small and you can manipulate to your own sort of uh, devices. And I don't know whether this is going to be back to front. The Midlands? Midlands, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I sort of, I'd held off um, buying it. Not not really out of any perversity, other than the fact that lots of people, other people have sort of bought it. And I was thinking, well, I'd quite like to play it. But I was at, uh, oddly enough, at uh, Games Expo a few weeks ago. And it was one of the first things when I saw it, I thought, oh, God, I can't resist anymore. I've got, I've got to buy it. And I think the two or three things that I quite like is there's, although there are elements of, of, of game around it, and it's typically, it's, it's sort of looking at an OSE sort of setting. And it's got a little bit of beastery as well. Although there are towns within this fantasy Midlands, um, there are also in the, the bits, I think you, you said it actually, Ralph, the bits in between are for you to discover. They are for you to make up. And there is a framework against which you can hang everything. It has that element of sort of slight familiarity, uh, slightly against what you were saying, Wayne, which is about Eurasia with the, that, that sort of manga setting. You, you kind of say it's a fantasy Midlands to people. Okay, I, I, I kind of get it, you know. Not necessarily what to do with the accents, but, you know, I kind of get it. But you can you can you can plot how the how your adventures sit within it does that make sense it, it also helps so, it's really well written and i really like it so you've said a couple of times the fantasy midlands is that a joke or is, does it actually have any bearing on the midlands of, of england or well, not it, it it is it is based on the midlands it is. so essentially oh, it's okay, a map right. of the midlands yeah. right okay but he's changed all the names right not massively. So, for example, <laughs> I wonder if you can guess what Leechfield is. <laughs> yeah. But it, but it's not, it's not done. In, it, I guess it's done in a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek way. But 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 it, I think he's done a fantastic job. There's a couple of things that have introduced as well. This so there's gloomium, for example, which is this sort of uh, horrific sort of green essence that comes up from the ground every night. But I, I just it just. I don't know, it just it absolutely struck a chord with me. I cannot wait to do something with it. And oddly enough, I, I, when I was sort of thinking, well, you know, what could you Frankenstein's RPG, you know, is this? And then it, I saw this and thought, well, maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. But my vote counts no more than anybody else's. So the, the other ones that I did consider, and there were quite a few, uh, again, I, I nearly 
I nearly proposed Dungeons and Dragons, actually, for that whole point about, okay, there is the rule set and we've kind of got a rule set. Absolutely nothing like Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, but you could, you know, you know what the character is. And I think it was to your point earlier on, Paul, you know, if you are going to be playing a magic using character, you know, bang, away you go. You've, you've got that sort of the basis from which to work out. But then I saw this, I've fallen in love. There's about two or three other uh, other bits of it. And I should say this is Nagy, Nolan and Seal who have done this. Uh, so the Midlands, even if it doesn't get through, uh, which I, clearly I hope it does, but even if it doesn't, you know, check it out. I think it's it, really, really good. And it's also in a very nice size. Comes with a map like that. So there's your Lord of the Rings. Yeah, Don't need to go to Oxford to the Tolkien Museum. <laughs> Look at that. It's in, it's in green on one side. Look at that. It's in white on the other. Green and white, everybody. Green it's and not cloth. white. <laughs> it's not cloth. That's a shame. <laughs> and this, this, it is readable, unlike the RuneQuest maps. <laughs> there is that, yeah. Yeah. So just a just a point on sort of setting it in the same. I, I guess it's the same kind of scale as the Midlands, then, isn't it? Yeah. Um, roughly, I think there's a, there's a lot to be said about keeping the play area small, even when you've got a defined area. Yeah. Um, like Lloyd Alexander's Prydain is is basically it's Wales. Yeah. That's that's big enough that you can have distance between things, but small enough that it doesn't. It's it's you know people have heard of the place the other end and yeah. they're aware of it and and they can move through in a matter of days or weeks yeah and i i kind of like that as well having a small enough scale that people can credibly go from end to end yeah. and, and explore the whole thing i want to be able to go on some epic uh, journeys as well though to uh, to sudden coldfield or uh... maybe <laughs> Solly hole, perhaps. I don't know what it's called. Well, there'll be a supplement for like Cornwall or something, won't there? I don't know. Yeah, I would imagine so. Perhaps Lincoln, where the uh, too many fingers. But leave it there. So we have we have a, a group of games from which to choose, though. Setting. It's all getting very exciting, actually. I'm quite interested in this. So to, to recap, Ralph was proposing that we use uh, Beyond the Wall as both a sort of a mechanic and a setting, I guess, isn't it? Is that right? Or it, The mechanic is the setting. Yeah. Uh, Mark was a Torg. Is that right? Yeah. Happy to, to carry on with Torg with that idea of, you know, actually almost endless places that you could sort of invent off the back of it. Paul, uh, and, and by extension Baz, uh, proposed King of Dungeons as the sort of setting and, and, and mechanic, I guess. Wayne was Eurasia, 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 uh, Eurasia, and uh, mine was uh, the Midlands, where there's too much of a temptation to do the accent, but I won't do it. So, if we start uh, from the bottom, I, I, I'm going I'm I'm to have my vote first. Rarely do this, but I'm going to give it a go. Apart from the fact that I didn't know all the words that you used, uh, Ralph, I'm, I'm going with beyond the wall. I, I think I think the more you think about it, do we have to have a defined setting? No. Nope. Uh, I, I, I do like beyond the wall as well. I think it's a very, very clever 
game and that's not meant to sort of make it sound like it's being you know sort of a, a smart ass about it i think it is it's very cleverly written and it's it's a fantastic setting as well so i'm i'm going with uh, with beyond the wall uh wayne come to you next for, for your vote um i yeah i'm really quite drawn to going going on everything i said um despite the fact I, I said I quite like a, a bit of flavour to a setting, I am really drawn to the idea of um, uh, an emergent setting. I think both the King of Dungeons and Beyond the Wall um, that were proposed mm. really appeal. Um, I've not played Beyond the Wall, uh, but Ralph made it sound like it was really was quite, um, you know, really was quite emergent and quite sort of, nebulous and something that that really was created um whole cloth as you as you went as you went along um so i think that'll be my vote as well i think uh, i think it's close between the two because they yeah. both do the same thing uh, by the sound of it um but no i think i'll go with beyond the wall yeah okay fantastic so uh paul we come to you next and, and of course uh, i should say you can't vote for your own so you can't unfortunately vote for king of dungeons but so uh, beyond the wall, Torg, Eurasia, Midlands. Well, I think I'm very drawn to Torg because I have fond memories of playing it. And I think it does fantastic things with setting. But I think for the purposes of the Frankenstein's RPG project that, that we're talking about, it's perhaps it, I don't feel it is perhaps such a good fit for that. Mm -hmm. um, although it would it'd be interesting to have a, like a range of different sort of fantasy ones that you can move in between. But um, so now I'm kind of um, split. Is some um, Beyond the Wall? Is that uh, powered by the Apocalypse game, or is that a what's no? That it's uh, oh, it's oh, it's D and D. Yeah, is it? Uh, oh, right. Yeah, so I'm not really familiar with it. I have to say, it's very it's very simplified, um, yeah. and it has some unique and very interesting twists on magic and a few other things to recommend it. But I mean, those are by the by, because my, my pitch was based on the, 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 mm. the sort of the, the village construction and the, and the, and the way that you have scenario playbooks, which you know, help you emerge the whole area around it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But by the way, you're not allowed to like a supplementary, uh, you know, you, you can't do two bids. You can't do two I, I was, promotional excerpts. I was, I was cross examining the witness. <laughs> oh, well, sorry, I beg your pardon. Cross examination is absolutely fine as long as you convict. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna with with conviction. I'm gonna go for the Midlands. So he's on Ted to hooks now. Mark, coming to you. <laughs> you can't say Torg. Yeah, this is a really tough one. Mm. And if anyone's listened back to the last episode, they're going to think this is, well, last episode I was in, they're going to think this is so rigged. Um, so this emergent setting, yeah. I like the idea of it. I think I'd enjoy playing it, but it's not what I want out of a setting personally. Yeah. I would like a setting to, it doesn't have to be rigid, rigid, yeah. but I want a setting that I could, there's already at least the, the bare bones of it established and I'm interacting within it and Hopefully I'm influencing it. So a bit like an emerging one, but I'm helping shape what's already there rather than it almost feels to me that almost sounds like here's a hex map. What's in this hex, everyone? Okay. And that's not really what I want out of a game. Although I think I, I do see how it'd be really enjoyable, but it's just not what I'm really after. Um, so that leaves two contenders. 
As I say, this is going to sound really rigged because I'm going to have to go with Wayne <laughs> and Eurasia because I like that idea of, you know, there's enough there to set the scene, set the flavour, give the gem enough to work with to build everything else around it without it being too rigid. And, it, and in hindsight, I almost wish that, I think I'm going to have to give it a special mention, is, is the original D&D set in Greyhawk. That was very much like that, very big area. But, you know, when you read the stuff, there was only enough just to give a flavour of all the different areas and then you filled all the rest in, mm -hmm. apart from, you know, some of the scenarios would maybe pad them out or whatever as well. So, yeah, I'm going with the uh, Eurasia. Eurasia, Eurasia. one we can't pronounce. Okay, brilliant. Right. Ralph, it's you. So, uh, recap at the moment. Two for Beyond the Wall. You cannot vote for Beyond the Wall. Yeah. Could be tactical here. Uh, you yeah. can choose uh, Torg, King of Dungeons, Eurasia, and the Middlelands. Of those, I think the... I think I would not choose Torg, um, you know, great as it is for the reasons I gave. Um, Eurasia, maybe, but I'd still, uh, I'd want, I think one of the things is that, that uh, the reason I chose my setting is the, the, the particular toe that I want to set. And I say the Midlands sounds like it would be quite close to that, but there's slightly more of a horrific element to it. So I am going to slide towards King of Dungeons um, for the notion that you get your setting back. And I think because I think that that is a that is an excellently put thing in the in the book advice as well. Yeah, uh, but it's like it's it's a hair between that and the Midlands, I think, and and they're all very closely bunched together. All of them sort of adaptive uh, and, and adaptable, which yes. is good. So uh, we have a setting, everybody, with with uh, two votes, very very cunningly. Uh, <laughs> be, be, beyond the wall wins. Our, our setting for the Frankenstein's RPG, gerrymandered by uh, by Ralph, yeah, uh, is beyond the wall. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant! Well done. Like that. Can I ask a question about, about setting and, and fantasy games? It seems to me that, you know, you, you, you've got this, uh, this big tome you're going to be, be kickstarting next year, the uh, Frankenstein's RPG. Um, <laughs> it seems that it does seem to me like if you want to sell a fantasy RPG, you've got to kind of sell it with a setting bolted on. Because a lot of people, when they express enthusiasm about their game, about a game, it seems to be about the setting. Yep. Yeah. Is that true or is that just me? I, I yeah, absolutely I think, think, yeah. I, I think that's true. And if you look at some of the things, some of the pretty fantasy games that have come out recently, like Simbarum and Shadows of Estoran, um, even though, uh, I mean, Simbarum looks more interesting to me. I've got Estoran and it's okay. Um, but it's like the, the setting is partly communicated through the artwork as well. And that's one of the things that's going to sort of make people say, I actually want that book. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I'm sure that that is the case. Uh, <clears throat> now, uh, Ian Cooper uh, assured me uh, that where the money lies with the Frankenstein's RPG is in uh, lots of supplements. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking we'll do uh, we'll do a Middlelands supplement. We'll do a King of Dungeons bolt on uh, Eurasia and Torg. 
Torg obviously having more opportunities to to have huge supplements. Torg, so uh, and, there's and, there is some strategy. And of course, we'll uh, we'll have a, a traveller supplement where uh, people yeah. are lie comatose in a boat uh, and just sail through an archipelago archipelago for months on end and then wake up. Traveller's been attached to pretty much every other world system uh, over the last forty years. I don't see mm. why uh, we can't have a and 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 everyone a shame. Yeah. I'll write the uh, yeah. I'll write the duck supplement, which I'll throw straight in the dustbin. <laughs> it's becoming remarkably bigoted. This uh, this podcast. <laughs> it, it wasn't the original idea, but but, but I, I like the way it's developing. And I think instead of <laughs> instead of GM, you should have the bombardil. Yeah, <laughs> <clears throat> Wear a green hat <laughs> and yellow trousers or something. <laughs> yeah. Soft is his ruling, though. Tom Bombadilly, yeah. Okay, <laughs> Rolio the dice. My hearty, my lovely. You just want to play a hobbit in that, don't you, Paul? That's oh, yeah, why? That's, okay. a, that's another episode for you there, though, Dave. Is um, is de- deciding what terms to use. Are you going to be a GM, mm. a DM, mm. an MC, a storyteller? Uh, a, t- a TB. TB. Tom TB. Bombadil. <laughs> uh, well, actually, I think last time, I think I was the Anne Widdicombe. Uh, so, hello, everybody. Okay. Welcome. I'm the Anne Widdicombe for this evening. Anyway, we need to move on. <laughs> Very good. No, that's the wrong one, isn't it? Uh, GM advice. Okay. Now, this is one of these. This came out. So, uh, when originally... So they're saying to everybody, you know, again, via Twitter, thinking of doing this, what sorts of things ought we to include? Excuse me. And uh, we're sort of narrowing it down to, okay, we should should have this, but what bits are there in in most games? And we've called it this this sort of GM advice. And and I think part of it is that bit that's sort of... um, shoved in at the start where they say if you've never if you're not familiar with role-playing games uh but 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 it's it's also i think you know where and and funnily enough actually i think it might relate to something that you i think you you brought it up actually paul which is about um how do you sort of break down these uh barriers if you like to 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 really becoming involved in in the game in the session and it's which which of the RPGs that we've got in these sort of vast libraries, do you think give the best advice in terms of not necessarily just running that game, but perhaps perhaps advice for uh, for running role playing games in general, maybe for, for specifically aimed at the GM? So, uh, who who should I come to first? Uh, I won't I won't uh, push push around. Wayne, can I uh, can I come to you first? Yeah, sure. Uh, let's get this over with. I. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I, no I, I struggled with this one because I, I can't I couldn't I couldn't think of um, any particular game where the GM advice really kind of it's, you know it's, it's this great philosophy like you read it and go that's it yeah. that's what I, you know that, that that's just that's everything I've learned in the last 35 years that's that's put it, he's put it in one sentence um, <laughs> most of the most of the books I looked at, was it was just very um, straightforward, functional advice, GMing advice. Mm. Um, you know, just 
how to set up a scene, how to, da -da, how to, you know, how to balance a combat, how to do this, how to, you know. Um, and, and most of them uh, were like that. One or two didn't even have that. I, was it RuneQuest? I couldn't find any GM advice. And it was just, here are the rules, off you go. Uh, maybe I, I wasn't looking hard enough, I don't know. Um, so I so I don't have any great pearls of wisdom. Um, the, the rule set that I'm going to put forward is Savage Worlds. Um, and again, like Eurasia, it's representative of most games that just have um, straightforward, solid, functional GMing advice. Because um, I think Savage Worlds does it well, as do a lot of um, a lot of games, really. Um, I don't have a great deal more to throw in than that, I'm afraid. Uh, I just think, yeah, a solid section on how to be a GM, how to run the game, you know, and. and okay. No, nothing in particular within that sort of advice that you think, well, that's, that's, I wouldn't maybe have thought of that or that ought to be extrapolated more or. No, that was it. I, I, I couldn't think of it. I really wanted to come up with it with a, an example of, you know, real, a really terrific pearl of wisdom, but I'm afraid I had nothing. <laughs> Just uh... nothing profound. No, um, sorry. Story but... of my life. Well, interesting enough, uh, Fabio uh, Fabio Valono, who's on uh, Valono, who's on uh, on Twitter, he just said, uh, "Room and table, bring dice." <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Short and sweet, uh, and uh, yeah, room and table, bring dice. Okay, so Savage Worlds though, would be the one that you think has, has got something that's fairly succinct. Okay, thank you very much, Mark. Can I? Yeah, uh, oh, I was. I, I again uh, also struggled with this as well, because yeah, one I don't tend to read them. If uh, and, and, and also it's been a very long time since I've gone out and bought lots of different systems, you know, maybe thirty years. So, um, and they, uh, my memory of them all is pretty much, they say the same thing in different mm. ways. And the other thing I was thinking was, when we say GM advice. <laughs> Here we're opening up to the resources debate again. Is 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 what do we mean? Do we mean mechanically running the game, mm. or do we mean you know, philosophically? Running well, it. running it for the experience rather than the mechanics of you know getting the mechanics right to to you know doing a story. So I took a really lazy option <laughs> um, because Not just me you though. Know, <laughs> Well, well my, my take on it always is, is that, you know, once you take the rules out of the equation, especially if, uh, you know, I suppose that is a bit of advice for GMs is, you know, don't overthink the rules, which I do all the time, um, is that, you know, if you have to make a call and you can't remember what they are, just make a bloody call and it'll, things will run smoother and probably most people, as long as the group are happy to do it that way, then no one will complain. But I'm going with, <laughs> well, oddly enough, I'm going to go with paranoia. <laughs> So for those who aren't familiar with Paranoia, it's uh, and, and this is an older release, it's probably the second edition, I reckon I've had it from Games Workshop since probably the 1980s, yeah. um, and there's probably no more than two paragraphs of GM advice in there, but out of all that GM advice, it sort of goes on to say how deadly and intentionally deadly the Paranoia setting is, and you uh, your, your intention is to kill at least 50 to 100% of the player characters in amusing ways every adventure, um, because they've got clones, and you know, that is what the setting's all about. Um, but in there, it, it stresses, you know, that the, the thing is, is, is everyone has to buy into the setting, as long as everyone has fun, it doesn't matter. 
It really doesn't matter how you run it. And I'm a firm believer in that. In all these arguments you see on Twitter about this is the right way to play, that's the wrong way to play. You know, it should be story heavy, it should be tactical, it should be... It's whatever the group enjoys. If you like playing super tactical combat, nothing else, you just want to go in a dungeon and go room to room, kicking indoors and killing things. If you enjoy it, that's fine. Uh, And, you know, if you want to spend... 15 sessions role-playing really heavily and developing your characters and never engaging with the rule mechanics, that's fine as well. Yeah. It's, it's a hobby and it's what people want to do. So that's why I went for the paranoia one because it literally says almost nothing apart from just make sure everyone's having fun. I think that's the best advice anyone can give. And, and try and kill them all. Yeah, it does say that yeah. as well. <laughs> everyone has fun. Yeah. dies in increasingly horrific ways. And specifically 50 to 100%. <laughs> I, t- I always find it's good to put a, you know, put, put a, put a limit well, on Well, you want to know when you're failing, don't you? Because under 50, you know you've done a bad job. There's a quota system now. There is, yeah. yeah. There's a couple of people <laughs> I may, may need to have a conversation with about that. But Okay, brilliant. Paranoia. Never thought that would get uh, mentioned, I'm absolutely honest. And that is... Uh, that was a, a factor. It's like I, I do remember the game fondly. Yeah. Um, and, uh, do, do you need to be particularly clever about it? So, okay. So, uh, thank you very much, um, Ralph. Oh, PM you. advice. Yeah. So, I'd like to start with a quote from the seminal text, Roger Kellar's uh, "Man Playing Games." No, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. Marquis Dessard. The Marquis Dessard. The Marquis Dessard. Yeah, that'd be more appropriate given what I've been reading recently. Uh, no, I don't. I, I don't have any funny quotes uh, this time. X card. X card. Play the X card now. Yeah, quite right. Um, but what I do have is um, part of the discussion we had over Twitter and, and various things. It, it even more than the setting, it put me in mind. Well, what is the advice, and who do we want to give it to? Is this for somebody who's brand new or is it for somebody who's experienced? And uh, I think the question is, is it, a, is it a pedagogical exercise that you're actually teaching somebody to run the game? Um, in which case, what about the previous sections doesn't actually teach people what the game is about? Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, the GM, the GM section is like, in a lot, in a lot of cases, I, I've I've gone through a lot of different things looking at this. I've, I've gone through my Vampire First Edition and the Storyteller's Guide, which has got a huge number of different essays that I, I you know, my eyes glaze over when I read them. But at the time, when I was a young goth, I lapped it up because, of course, it said, "Oh yes, this this wonderful artistic experience, and you too can be one of us." You know, a uh, a clove cigarette smoking goth uh, sort of pontificating with the rest of your players, um, you know, you know yeah. sitting around you in awe. And, and yeah. uh, that was ridiculous. But it, it's, I, I, I don't have a lot of time for a lot of subjective essays, so I wouldn't put that in. Okay. Things that I would like, there's two things that I want um, a bit of GM advice to provide. One is uh, clarification. And the other is going to be, this is the tone I, the author, think you should be setting. And, and I would pick those two. So one, one of the ones about tone, um, I think that the Lamentations of the Flame Princess GM's Guide does actually deliver that. 
it's not it's not the one I'm going to go for, but I'm going to say that if you want an example of of how the tone is very well communicated, not just implied, but actually it has a very strong authorial voice that says, and this is what I'm going for. That's not a bad example. But the ones I'm actually going to pick out that are actually more useful, um, I've got my copy of White Hack, for example. Uh, and White Hack has just got two pages at the back, page 60 and page 61. And it has things like troubleshooting. Actually, it's just page 60. It is hard to agree on things. And then this is how the, GA, the, the, the author recommends you how, how you agree on things. Um, or magic is too open-ended, or tracking weight is a hassle. So, you know, that's very much a problem-oriented GM section. It's, mm -hmm. it's sort of, it's just saying, well, if you're going to run into some problems running the game, here are some ways that I might get around that. Um, but it also encourages a bit more creative thought on the part of the part of the person who's running it. And I, I think that's quite useful. And if you want something that's a bit more substantial, um, I picked out my copy of uh, Elric Dark Fantasy Roleplaying, mm. which, of course, is mm. uh, Stormbringer 5th Edition by another name. And it has a GM section. And I think it's, it is more coherent than, say, I, I looked through the Keeper section for Call of Cthulhu, which delivers exactly what I would want. But this has actually got it in more nicely laid out. And what it has is, um, say, advice for the GM like, don't spend longer than this amount of time on character generation. And this is basically how you should start to structure things and think about running the game. So it's, it's kind of useful, practical advice. Uh, I like that. But I am assuming that we are going for a bunch of experienced role players who uh, will know how to run games. And also they're not afraid to like run it in their own style. Yeah. So what I'm going to pick on is Apocalypse World. An Apocalypse World has um essentially a set of event a set of uh a, i think it has the agendas the moves and the principles and the the agenda is um i can't remember which it is the agenda or the um the principles but uh some of the principles are be a fan of all the other characters so as the master of ceremonies you should be a fan of the other players uh and it's got a um uh, a couple of other things like um, the purpose of this is to explore the world and uh, speak truthfully and describe things in an explosive nature or whatever. And you can tune these as you need. There's a deconstruction by Avery Older under, under a previous name uh, called Simple World, which kind of deconstructs all of this. And mm -hmm. they actually wrote down, um, here is your list of agendas and here's your list of moves. Um, Take these, cross some of those out, put a couple of your own invention on there, and then you're ready to go. What this is really doing is it's it's kind of, it's not really a set of GM advice beyond a crib sheet. Mm -hmm. And so, and that really speaks to me. It's like, I can read that and say, oh yeah, I, it's, it's a lot of good things. It's reminding me to be a fan of the players. It's reminding me to listen to the players uh, and to make certain things happen that are in keeping with the tone of the game that I want. Mm -hmm. So I think I would say Apocalypse World stroke Simple World stroke Urban Shadows uh, and the others. But but for simplicity, I think Apocalypse World. That's my argument. 
I'm not going to vote for it, obviously, but you know, I like yeah, it. Of course, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> it's far too sensible. Very stupid, wouldn't it? Who, who the hell would vote for Apocalypse Wild Man? Mm. Oh, Paul, we're coming to you now. Okay, well, uh, I'm conscious that, uh, you know, people in who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. And having, having re- written some GM advice, I'm glad that people don't read it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I'm interested that people don't, you know, that a lot of experienced GMs don't actually read the mm. advice. Like you said, Mark, you know, you've got all these books, but you don't read the GM advice. Because I think once we get to a certain level, you've run a bunch of games, you kind of like, you know, how to run games. Um, so I think, I think there's a, a call for like two or three levels of advice in books, really. Here's one for, and I don't mean like that this is what role-playing game is, that if, mm. if, if you'd never read one, David, like you, you mentioned at the start. I think that that works well in, in certainly in D&D and Call of Cthulhu and games that are, stand a chance of being people's first game. I think that, yeah. that, that, that works well. Games that are likely to be in Waterstones, you'd say, uh, that, that people might pick up as a first game. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, a block of advice for, you know, if you're, if you've not run games before, you might have played loads of D&D, but you might never have run it. So advice to somebody about how to actually run their first game, I think is, is very valid because, yeah. you know, there's lots of players that haven't GM'd. They might have played for years, but they've not GM'd. So some advice about that. And then I think like a separate section of advice that you're an old hand, you know, all of us here, you're an old hand at running games this is a different game and you know i advise just to to look out for this this and this and you might want to try doing this because this game does this a bit differently you know it's in the rules but just pay attention to to the, to, to sort of give you a few tips on how you can make this particular game sort of shine because every game is different otherwise why buy a different game yep. so you know to sort of accentuate what that game does well you know to to sort of pull it out and, and make it obvious for you. Um, I think a bit of advice also, and this is perhaps a different topic, but um, advice for players would be good too. Um, but that's maybe a separate thing, which doesn't get addressed very often. Paranoia's got it in there. Has it? Yeah. Right, very good. Very that's good. about as in-depth as the GM's advice. But... No, no, no one's going to play this. Come on. And I, I did go. I did go looking at a few old favourites. So uh, you know, I did pull out uh, Middle Earth, and and, and look <laughs> through. And Sorry. where you know, in old games, they don't have a whole chapter about GM advice. Whereas most new games, or a lot of new games, seem to do that. Um, Middle Earth. This I found this line right, which you'll love. In order to run a fantasy role-playing game, the GM must develop and outline all the basic components of a world system, in air quotes. Developing the components mentioned above requires a lot of work and effort on the part of the GM, it says. And I take the subtext of that to be, so you need to buy more of our books <laughs> to save you all that work. Yeah, and... and- and look for lots of tables is the other bit. They missed out on that one. Yeah, <laughs> They're the best bit, aren't they? They are the best bits for all masters, isn't they? Yeah. And, and the uh, I also turned to the uh, the DM's guide, the AD and D one. I don't know why I looked at these old books because the advice is terrible. So it says uh, one of the first things it says it is your right to control the dice at any time and roll the dice for the players. <laughs> why would you do that? I don't know why you would do that. Yes, um, hate in this case, it's hate your players. Well, the <laughs> second, just hate them. The second, the second 
bold heading of that section is headed dealing with troublesome players. <laughs> and it's uh, peer pressure is another uh, means which can be used to control players who are not totally obnoxious and who you deem worth saving. They were they were enlightened times, weren't they? It's great, isn't it? yeah by the way don't ever play in a game with me because it's i follow that advice slavishly i was listening to uh what would the smart party do i went back and listened to their episode about gm advice they did a a couple of months back and dirk the dice was was a guest on that and he mentioned how there's sort of become a, a mystique around gming and i think that's that's to get serious for a minute i think that's become really true mm. and i think you know, I, I'm, I'm pleased to hear, you know, um, Mark and Wayne, you, you sort of saying that you don't read a lot of GM advice and you feel pretty confident about your own. Well, I don't think I'm putting words into your mouth, but you feel pretty confident about your own GM in, you know, because I think there's a lot of people who just seem maybe it's just the way they, they voice on, on social media. But they just seem to be constantly mm. uh concerned about their gming and constantly concerned about doing things to improve it now don't get me wrong i think you should look to improve Mm. but if you're constantly almost undermining yourself and constantly looking for advice and constantly thinking what am i doing wrong i think you're just undermining yourself i think at some point you've got to say you know especially people who've been doing it 30 years even like a few years if you've been running games for a few years you've probably developed a level of competence. You can probably, you're probably a good enough GM. You can probably take stock of what you can do. You can probably do it perfectly fine. Your players probably perfectly enjoy it every now and again. Yeah. Do have a look for tips and tricks that you can sort of add to your uh, repertoire. Don't, don't be sort of second guessing yourself and have an imposter syndrome that all other people on the internet are doing such a great job and I can't do it. You are probably great. You know, you're probably doing a good job already. So yeah. Um, read the advice, but don't don't feel like you can't do it already. Yeah, I think the other thing on that is um, talking about the, the about the player advice bit. I think the interesting thing is, uh, uh, and and it was again, it was a question or, or a sort of a topic that recently arose, which is, um, I think somebody had phrased it along the lines of, "How do you bridge the gap between being a player and a GM?" And it was sort of like, well, you just happen to sit in a different place, you know, because you are a player, you know, and and it was possibly it's sort of linked to this thing that you're talking about, this idea of some imposter syndrome. And and it is built up into you've got to make this huge performance. There was a Twitter post, wasn't it? It was about how 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 long did you play before you felt ready to make the jump to DM or something like that? I think it was myself and Phil, the dice mechanic, were saying. It, it was, you know, it, it was never a thing. No. Back in the 80s, when we started playing in the 80s, it was just never a thing. You played OGM and yeah. you gave it no thought. So, yeah. so I always that, thought. There that. seemed to be this idea that you that you sort of graduate to being a DM, like it's, like, like it's karate, like you go up in belts in karate. It's just weird. So, shall I go first and then? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, sure. Sorry, yeah. Mark, you beat, me, yeah, yeah. beat me to the punch. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's. No, I was saying that um, my perception is, uh, yeah, there might be some people who these days are a bit concerned that they aren't as good a GM as they could be. Mm. Maybe that is 
because of the uh, they're seeing the the artificial performances of the likes of you know actual plays and critical role. Mm. Because those are self-selecting because the ones that will get the views are the ones with the more confident characters. And therefore, those will be the ones that they're more likely to see and measure themselves against. And I think you're absolutely right that uh, uh, that the uh, back in the day, we didn't worry about it too much. However, I reckon that um, there was an element that if you're a GM, Back in the day, certainly when I was at university, then there was a a certain status that went with that, and therefore some people were you know they they might have been intimidated or, or yeah, not maybe. sure if 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 they were able which is which is silly we know it's tough because yeah. um, it is a skill and you only get better at it by doing it a lot so start as soon as you can and you'll just get better and better and that that i think is the advice that i would give is like mm. sort of no one becomes no one starts being a good ref um a lot of people actually you know start probably start being a crappy ref and it's only through adversity that you you start to learn how you know this is actually how you should run a good game mm. um and i think the other thing i was i was going to say is that you know the um, this thing about the modern idea of people being concerned about their you know concerned about how their their GMing performance is. The counterpoint to that is the the indie game sphere saying um, a GM is just a uh, a GM is just another player, mm. and this this has been said quite a lot in the indie sphere, and I think it may be a direct response to that because of the idea that, oh, there's a hierarchy and the GM sits above the yeah. players and they want to destroy that idea. And quite rightly so. The GM is another player. They are doing a an unusual job yeah. different than everyone else. But I think that, uh, yeah, that's that, that there is a counterpoint to it. Yeah. <laughs> Mark, what do you say? Rightio. <laughs> so, but, 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 hands. so, so, but believe it or not, actually, I, you know, I'm sort of ca- going to counter sort of most people's opinion on one thing. I am that GM that overthinks and gets performance anxiety and all that. Now, mm. there's some mitigating circumstances around that in the background. Um, but since we started doing the podcast, I would say I've become more, more, you know, like that, because I feel like I'm not just performing for my players now. I'm, I'm trying to hopefully, you know, and it is just our yeah. game that we're putting out there, but I'm hoping I'm giving, you know, people a bit of entertainment as well on top of that. So, um, and my players are forever saying, you know, stop overthinking it. Um, so, you know, I know as far as they're concerned, I'm doing a good job, but, you know, I have some sort of underlying anxiety issues anyway. So I've always been a bit jumpy about that sort of thing. Um as regards to the hierarchy of gym or whatever, I, I'm pretty sure it used to be a running joke that the GM was the poor twat who gave him first. It wasn't, I'm going to be the GM because I reckon I'm the best in the room. It was like, we want to play this game. Who's going to GM it? And it was a poor sap that went, oh, go on, then I'll do it, that ended up doing it. Um, okay, so it's, it's no, long, no longer... Uh, GM advice. It's the poor, <laughs> the poor twat who gave in first. <laughs> well, could it, could, could it actually be a sort of a cutout page with uh, a number of lots, one of which is the short one? Yeah. And then that's your that's your GM advice done. Which yeah. which straw? 
Yeah, the, the 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 short one has got sucker on the end of the <laughs> Yeah, we, we, we've all rather uh, hijacked Paul's. Uh, yes, Paul's no, that's explanations. Right. <laughs> I, I beg your pardon. Sorry, Paul. But I, th- I, th- I think <laughs> it is you. interesting. And actually, if we were to do some sort of player advice, I think what, what I'm trying to do is, is at some stage, I'll bring bring everybody together who's sort of contributed to look at the various elements and see how we can sort of stitch this thing together. And I think one of the things that we might want to do is to say, okay, if we were going to have this GM advice bit. You know what might we say to the players? So, sorry, the poor twat who gave in first advice. <laughs> <laughs> That's sorry. the jam. That's the jam. <laughs> Paul, you were saying sorry. Beg your yeah, no, just going off what Ralph said about the the idea that <clears throat> I think you know back in the day it was the the GM that was sort of seen as all powerful because mm. because of things like I just read out in the in the D and D DMG. You know, you are kind of <clears throat> kind of all powerful and you know, you control the players and, you know, and now, like Ralph said, in the, in quite a lot of games that, or a lot of people's opinion, there's this kind of thing that well, you're all players at the table, you're all equal, everybody brings the fun, it's kind of a level playing field. I agree with that to some, to some extent, but I don't think that's a true representation of most games. I think most games, it's somewhere in between those two extremes and that the GM does have a larger share of the burden of preparation of facilitating it yeah, I mean, con- how, continuity whatever, maybe yeah there? however yeah. you want to phrase it yeah the spotlight is more on the gm to sort of bring the game i think and that that's not you know it, it definitely is down to everybody to make it a good game yeah. but you know it's a bigger burden on the gm i think of of the job of uh, of, of gming the game for most, for certainly for most RPGs, I would say. So anyway, I was, I've I'd got two that I was going to pick between, and this is probably going to reveal my voting. Uh, the the first was Apocalypse World, uh, which um, Ooh, it's gone. Which which Ralph has already uh, yeah, it's gone. Done a, done, a good, done a good job <laughs> of uh, pitching. Um, all I'll say about the the advice in Apocalypse World is that I've read quite a bit of um, advice in various role-playing games books this week and some of it is like i said i don't want to be throwing stones in a glass house but some of it is dull a dull and b i read it i've been role-playing for 40 years i read it and i can i I stopped last night because i'm sort of reading i'm not going to say what the book was but it's quite a big popular game right now it's not the and it's not that popular day was it ring quest but but you know i kind of read the advice and i kind of nod sagely and think to myself oh yes yes and then i stopped and i thought there was like a a, a couple of sentences i read them a couple of times i thought i thought i don't even understand what that's saying i don't know what that advice is telling me to do i literally don't understand it and if this is supposed to be advice for gms Mm. if i if i'm not getting it I i don't know how that's failing and then I read, so I read another Apocalypse World uh, a PBTA game, mm-hmm. um, and it was just quite dull. And then I went back to Apocalypse World, the original one by Vincent Baker, and the yeah. his his style of writing the advice, it just seems it seems like he's sat opposite me, just telling me stuff, and I'm kind of interested in what he's saying. It, his writing just comes off the page at me, and and just goes straight into my head and I, I can totally get what he's saying or well, yeah. at least I feel I do I don't know but it, it just it just reads very well um which you know is a skill in in both the writing and the communication so the, the one I'm going to recommend 
as people have been holding up books for the audio podcast, I'm gonna, just going to do likewise. I'm just going to reach over to one side and collapse a tower of books. But it's uh, something we can all relate to, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The, la the yeah, Lazy yeah. Dungeon Master. Now, now um, we... I thought of that. I, I, thought, well. I thought we were doing. I thought we were doing rule books. So I ah, can, okay. And, well, and I'm I'm sure everyone else I'm... would probably suggest it. <laughs> well, I decided to <laughs> because cheat. it's great. Yes. L listen, listen. You, you think there's some sort of underpinnings to this? There's none. Is there's this none. is this allowed, Dave? You, you could you could have you could have you could have said Anna Karenina. It would have been right. equally valid. Okay. I I could actually make use of. It's really concrete advice. And it's like, if you don't like this bit, don't use this bit. But there's a whole kind of toolbox of practical advice that you can pick and choose between that I think would lower my worries about running a game. Because mm -hmm. before running a game, I'm always a bit worried about it. Yeah. I think that's a common enough thing. And I kind of like being a little bit stressed because I think it sort of makes me sort of focus, but I don't want to be too worried about it. So it would sort of, lessen that and just give you more to work with i think in the game yeah so the lazy dungeon master by sly mm -hmm. flourish and and again sort of fits in in with the whole ethos of the frankenstein's role-playing game because it's another book i've got to carry around <laughs> well i don't think you've got to take the book to the session you can keep it at home and use it to prepare you, with just use my my three by five uh yeah card. there you go practical uh back saving tips too. <laughs> needs to have a, like a voucher for Ryman's or something in it that would work well. Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master. Arrow truck. <laughs> so, what do I think? I think there are a few, funny enough, a few that we've actually hit on. Uh, ironically, somebody did actually say the Dungeon Master's Guide for AD and D. I'm not going to tell you who that was who said that because uh, clearly they'll be wrong. A lot of people say the uh, fourth edition D and D yeah. advice is really, really good. I can't can't remember off the top of my no, head, but fourth edition. But, but am I right in saying that Thirteenth Age sort of came out of fourth, fourth edition a bit? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I wouldn't go by their advice. Electric <laughs> uh, Electric Bastion Land was one that came out. ICI Information Choice Impact, as opposed to imperial chemical industries which is what mm. i thought it was uh old world dark sun oh no sorry that was for setting actually <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've, I've got outside myself now look at that uh blades in the dark uh john scott at wild park blades in the dark drive it like you stole it players uh, gm be a fan of the players which i think was something you touched on as well ralph yeah. Okay, I'm so, going to pass up. Blades in the Dark was the one with sentences that I didn't understand. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> was, it, was it a bit too hip for you? It possibly, yeah. yeah. yeah I I'm get that. I'm reading the. Um, I'm reading. Are the reading? Oh, sorry. I'm, as I'm reading the um, Avatar: Last Airbender Quick Start at the moment, you're know, the one that's kickstarting. Okay. And 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 that's powered by the apocalypse, and it, it's like it's like the rules for Mornington Crescent. I, I can't I can't get my head around it. Which game's that, Wayne? Uh, the Avatar The Last Airbender. Oh. It's on Kickstarter at the moment. It's something like 6.4 million. Six, yeah. yeah. It's Magpie Games. Yeah. Yeah. We have encountered this a few times. And, and actually, one of the things I, did, I have an awful lot of love at the moment for Conan 2D20. Mm. Uh, 2D20 in general, actually, I think, yeah, Dune. I was absolutely I was so devastated when it was 2D20 that was, was going to be the rule system for Dune. I think I wanted Merp, really. 
uh, merp sandworms would have been brilliant. Imagine uh, the however, critical hit tables you could yeah. have with that. Yeah, you only need one, one to one hundred <laughs> swallowed. Yeah, but 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 and and again, not to sort of poke that tiger again. The writing of it, I think, sometimes is just so powered by the apocalypse. You know, it influenced a number of different game systems. Two D twenty It's fantastic. Some of the games are absolutely brilliant, but they're so badly explained. Like you said, with regard to you know, Blades in the Dark, wasn't it, Paul? That you said you, you couldn't quite get your handle on. And again, it's it's sort of just just take the time to be succinct about it when you're trying to explain the system. Don't go off into these florid, prose-laden uh, sort of paragraphs about it. And you think, oh, come on, shut up and just tell me how to bloody well hit something. If you talk, thinking about uh, Vincent Baker's original advice, I mean, I, I understand that he was effectively trolling the uh, the the indie community. Um, so some, he got a response with a 50% of the people who read it said, this is, this is fantastic. It really speaks to me just the way that Paul, Paul said, yeah. uh, and the other 50% said, this is, this is nonsense. It's, uh, it's all over the place. It makes no sense. Yeah. And he said, yes, well, if you don't like my stuff, that's fine, but I'm not going to change it. And, yeah. uh, you know, he, he, he wrote something that, uh, he used it to, to sort out the people who were actually fans and, and on his wavelength from the people who weren't yeah. uh, so i think that yes simplicity of language is certainly the thing um but on the other hand if you feel you've got a strong message to make and uh, and if the reader doesn't get it yeah. maybe that's not the game for them no it could well be but the problem is that when you play them it all makes sense why should you have to go through the pain of trying to decipher the rules only to then find out actually the game's really good fun and yeah. it works. So you could why, be deliberately oblique if you wanted to, I guess. Sorry, go on, Mark. Yeah, I was going to say, why make it, why purposely make it inaccessible to people who might enjoy it because because they're not your sort of people? Well, that, that's not what he was doing at all. It was no. perfectly accessible to the people who got it. Um, no, it was just, just, but some people said, I don't understand this. I, I can't engage with it. And he said, well, then you probably wouldn't be the sort of person with the, who, who would want to play my game anyway. Yeah. But there are plenty of yeah. other post-apocalyptic role-playing games you'll probably love. So, yeah, you know, it's it's not like I'm stopping you playing post-apocalyptic games. It's just you don't understand what I've written. And, and yeah, I, think that's that's right. I suppose I was taking what Dave was saying with the, the, the Conan stuff. And I think a few other people have said that as well without name-dropping any other podcasts. But, and it, you know, is is it's a good rule system, and once you've played it once and you've got your head around the basics, it's how it's written that makes it inaccessible, mm. not the rules themselves. And it sounds very much like that individual was writing it in such a way, not because of the rules to make the rules inaccessible purposely. That's the impression I got. That's that's. Well, what I, yeah. I I don't think that's true, but I mean, yeah. um, I I think yeah. it actually makes a lot of sense. On the other hand, um, one of the things that has always been the case for role playing games is they are not something that's simply written. It's just like you can't learn martial arts from a book. You need to do it as a community effort and you need to train with somebody else. And you're doing exactly the same thing in a role-playing game. So if you play that kind of role-playing game, you're probably going to get it. And if you don't, then you probably won't get it, but you won't have lost anything by not really getting it because you like to play a different kind of role-playing game. And I don't really see the problem in that. 
Mm. One of the things, by the way, one of the things I wrote uh, in my GM advice thing was that newcomers need examples, not text. So it's like you, you, what you, you don't need a long screed of text, but mm. what you do need is, you know, you, you've got, this is a rule. How does the rule work? Here's an example. That helps way more than, than just screeds of text. Yeah. And 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 Cthulhu Seventh Edition, I think, does that quite well. Your right. system does that a lot as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think Hero, often, Hero system. Yeah, which is a very rules-heavy system, but mm. uh, there are lots of examples, especially around power building and stuff, yeah. as to say, you know, this is how you manipulate it. Yeah, yeah. I think often GM advice or advice on playing the game is just kind of embedded in the rules it's not always like in a separate section so some yeah. games that you look at don't have a gm section but that advice is kind of integrated through throughout the text yeah i need to go as well uh, I, I, I'm, I'm actually going to be very very uh, brief uh at the one ring first edition uh and actually i i was uh, I sort of stepped outside of it a little bit and uh there's just three par four paragraphs sorry I can't even count. So sad I am. Uh, four paragraphs, and actually, I could. I think I could condense it even more to four sentences. First one: set the scene. I won't read the rest of the paragraph. Set the scene. There you are. Two: listen to the players. Three: describe the consequences of the players' actions. Four: describe events from the ongoing plot. Bob's your uncle. Fanny's your aunt. There you are. One Ring First Edition. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm, I'm now bowing for the purposes of those not watching on camera. The applause is ringing around. Uh, <laughs> the evening. I, I, like everybody else, I, I thought, okay, I'll get and actually it was one of the first, probably one of the first areas, oddly enough, that I looked at. And there were loads, could have chosen quite a few. Uh, I, I think you could just rewrite all, Dave, you could just rewrite all of the philosophy books and just, you, you personally, uh, yes, and just please. say, be nice to each other and have fun. That's it. That's it, isn't it? Except. <laughs> Lorantha Traveller. They're not allowed to. <laughs> just jokes. Just jokes. Well, no, but... no, no one plays grants for fun, do they? <laughs> I think if I, if I come on this, oh. on this podcast ever again, I'm going to introduce the X card. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you can do that. But it'll be some sort of mystical rune if it comes from the Glorantha, yeah, though. We, we it won't, won't be an X. Yeah. I, might, I might bring a V card if that helps. <laughs> a pictogram of, you know, a charging <laughs> oh, ball. It's just there. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, the V card. I like that. So that was my contribution. The One Ring. One Ring. We talked about the One Ring quite a lot, actually. I'm quite glad that they're. They're looking to revise it. I hope it'll hope it work out to be as, as good a game as the previous one seems to be, um, by all accounts. But I, 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 that was what I thought was was really really good, succinct advice, and no more than four paragraphs. And that was it. Okay, but we have to we have to have some sort of vote. I'm afraid. So this is don't forget this is now for the the poor twat who gave in first advice. <laughs> uh, uh, voting. Sorry. We'll, we'll, we'll go from the top down again. So, Wayne, uh, you spoke about Savage World as being uh, one that gave really good advice, but you can't obviously vote for Savage World. So, the nominations are Paranoia, mm -hmm. uh, Apocalypse World, The Return, or or The Return of, in brackets, or The Lazy Dungeon Master, 
and uh, the one ring. Uh, well, I'm being thoroughly embarrassed by my feeble efforts. Um, I, I would I feel like I have to go for either Paul or Ralph, just out of respect for their level of effort. Um, and uh, it's going to have to be Paul because uh, the return of the Lazy Dungeon Master is just absolutely, it, it is superb. I, I read it recently. I think it's a terrific book. Um, so, yeah, that would be my vote without, without hesitation. Okay, good. Thank you very much. One vote for the return of the Lazy Dungeon Master. Mark, you cannot obviously say paranoia. So we have Savage World, <laughs> Apocalypse World, uh, Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master or The One Ring. So I'm going to break my previous pattern and not vote with Savage Worlds, which uh, one would have been with Wayne and two would be the rule system we're currently <laughs> using. Don't um, vote for me. I don't deserve it. <laughs> yeah, well, you have the last three times. So <laughs> <laughs> um, This is a tough one between um, The Lazy Dungeon Master, which I confess I haven't read, but I've heard an awful lot of good things about, and Apocalypse World, because for me... As a GM at the moment, I feel that advice would be really useful to me, this idea of having this sort of list of things that you can pull together as prompts for you as you run. I think that's that's a really good idea. Um, and so seeing as Paul's cheating by not using a role-playing system, definitely going to have to go to it for Apocalypse World. And, uh, Apocalypse World. Okay, lovely. Cheating? It's a bit strong. Well, I know, but I'm just trying to get that frenzy up on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> he said, Paul Fricker cheats. Uh, Ralph, you can't vote for Apocalypse World, which is already the recipient of one vote. Savage Worlds, Paranoia, Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, The One Ring. Which would you like to vote for? Um, well, I thought your your argument for The One Ring was, was very compelling. And it sounds like, you know, a brief, uh, you know, set of advice but on the other hand i actually picked out my copy of paranoia and i read the advice and uh, so out of sheer perversity i'm going to vote for paranoia because <laughs> i think that would be magnificent as the uh, best advice ever don't mess around i thought for a minute you're going to say you're going to step outside it completely and vote for the advanced dungeons and dragons dmg <laughs> paranoia that, that, that's a vote for paranoia again but, but I, I, I feel I feel bad because the One Ring, um, yes, that sounds fantastic. And from what I remember of playing it, it was uh, it was a great system as well. Mm. Yeah, good game. He's a clever sausage, right, Paul? Oh, oh dear. Right. At the moment, no. we've got three three separate votes, mm. but we have Savage Worlds, Paranoia, Apocalypse World, Return Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master. You cannot cannot vote for the Lazy Dungeon Master Stroke Return of, or the One Ring. Well, I regret that I didn't get to look at Paranoia again because I, I looked for it on my shelf just this afternoon. I was going to take a look at it and I couldn't find it. So, um, uh, but so that that uh, that that missing. I think I've already said I uh, my second choice was or my other choice was uh, Apocalypse World. So uh, I'm going to stick with that. Comes down. It, it seems to come to remarkably comes around to me an awful lot to have to make a decision. Okay, so I cannot vote for the One Ring. I should have said Merp, of course. <laughs> so, Savage World, Paranoia, Apocalypse World, Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master. Do you know what? I have read it. 
I do think is absolutely fantastic. It, it, it's 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 a sort of a, I'm going to say it's a curveball as opposed to breaking the rules. I am going to vote for the return of brackets the lazy dungeon master. So to prolong the agony, we're, we're heading for a, a, a vote off, and this time all bets are off. You can vote for what you wish to. We have to choose between uh, paranoia. Got one vote. I'm sorry, not in the playoff. Uh, it is Ralph's Apocalypse World with two votes and Paul's The Lazy Dungeon Master, brackets return of, two votes. So we'll, we'll go back again and you can only vote for Apocalypse World and Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master. So, Wayne, what's it going to be? Lazy going to stick. Lazy GM. Uh, Mark? Uh, I'm sticking with Apocalypse World. Okay. <laughs> Ralph? For brevity, I would stick with Apocalypse. I know no, it's not a long book, but Apocalypse World, one page, okay. that does me. Paul, are you going to vote for your I, own or Apocalypse I, World? Yeah, I am going to vote for my own because I think it's a fantasy game and I think it gives the... I think it's really relevant to fantasy games. I mean, Apocalypse World is great, but yeah, I'm going to stick with Lazy Jam. Okay. And uh, it, it's going uh, to be a 3-2 victory for the, uh, the return of the Lazy Dungeon Master. So, gentlemen, thank you. <laughs> Round of applause there, if you can. It's, it's <laughs> going to sound, applause. it's going to sound like something horrible slapping together if you come back on air. But so, uh, listen, thank you very much indeed. We have two more elements. Two. That wasn't the V sign. Uh, so, from episode nine, we have beyond the wall. Beyond the wall is our setting. That was Ralph. You broke your cherry. Uh, and then uh, our other debutant, Paul, uh, gets uh, the GM advice is going to come from the uh, lazy dungeon master. So our two debutants come in with uh, with scoring uh, scoring hits. Thank you very much indeed. I hope that thank was uh, that was okay. Good fun. Yeah, yeah, thank you very was, much. Uh, it was great. Thank Cheers. you. Yeah, really appreciated that, guys. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs> no and, problems. Uh, see you all soon. Thank you. <laughs> So, there you have it. That was episode nine, and uh, I sincerely hope you enjoyed it. I'm feasibly intellectual, this one, and the level of prep has gone through the roof, well, at least for Ralph. Uh, do please check out the podcasts of Champions, Good Friends of Jackson Elias, and also Fictoplasm, as if you don't already, but they're all available on the very best pod providers. If you would like to leave us a message at Anchor, please do. We're Frankenstein's RPG, and we're also mainly on Twitter, at Frankenstein RPG, and happy to take feedback and contributions on our final episode's topic for season one of The Scenario and how PCs develop or gain experience. So, thanks again for listening. We'll see you soon. <laughs>